Chapter 1. Pourquoi Paris? Thousands of young Americans were flocking to Europe after World War II, and I joined the throng. Late in June 1947, fresh out of college, I went to Paris, planning to stay for the summer. I stayed for ten years. Pourquoi Paris? Its name alone was magic. The city, the legendary Ville Lumière, promised something for everyone. Beauty, sophistication, culture, cuisine, sex, escape, and that indefinable called ambience. When good Americans die, they go to Paris, ran Oscar Wilde's oft-quoted quip. That was certainly not my purpose in going there, but then, what was it? Perhaps simply Paris. Modern European history and literature had been my major at Harvard, and my courses on France had acquainted me with the Ancien Régime and the Enlightenment, the Revolution, the Napoleonic Era, the Third Republic, and most recently, the valiant resistance during the German occupation. I had grappled with the works of Molière, Racine, Descartes, Voltaire, and Les Philosophes, Hugo Flaubert, Stendhal, Balzac, Maupassant, Baudelaire, Verlaine, Rimbaud, Zola, Gide, Proust, and post-war intellectuals like Jean-Paul Sartre, Simone de Beauvoir, and Albert Camus. Dabbling in art, it left me with some notions about Monet, Manet, Degas, Van Gogh, Toulouse-Lautrec, Picasso, Braque, and the Surrealists and Dadaists. I'd been enchanted by such French film classics as La Grande Illusion, La Femme du Boulanger, and Les Enfants du Paradis, and knew the songs of Maurice Chevalier and Charles Trenet by heart. Along with the rest of my generation, I'd read Hemingway Fitzgerald and smuggled copies of Henry Miller's salacious novels and dreamed of retracing their footsteps through Montparnasse, Saint-Germain-des-Prés, and the Boulevard du Clichy. I was further gulled by the real or exaggerated recollections of G.I.s and their doughboy fathers of compliant French women, the eternal Mademoiselle from Armentières. Air travel, then, was expensive, and most of us crossed the Atlantic by ship, usually third class. My friend and fellow Harvard Crimson editor Anthony Lewis, the future New York Times columnist, wangled his passage for fifty dollars each aboard a coal freighter bound for Le Havre. I stuffed some clothes and a supply of camels into a rucksack and my old army duffel bag, and we sailed from Baltimore. We had been at sea for a week, idly reading and playing chess, when a radiogram advised the captain that a strike had paralyzed Le Havre and ordered the ship to Rotterdam. Both German and Allied bombing had leveled the city. I had served during the war in India and China, agricultural lands that were spared such destruction, and the scene as we docked stunned me. But it was only a prelude to the devastation I would witness elsewhere in Europe. Tony and I proceeded by train to Paris and made our way to the Lutesse, a Latin Quarter hotel that had been recommended to us. Situated near the Sorbonne, it was cheap, apparently clean, and primitive. My little room opened onto an air shaft and contained a narrow bed, a wobbly table, a tiny armoire, and a feeble light bulb. The toilet next door leaked. The smell of greasy cooking permeated the premises. And from somewhere upstairs came the mournful tones of someone practicing the saxophone. The two French students on the floor greeted me warmly, and, though my French was fractured, we managed to communicate. One of them, Hubert Doucet, was a dapper bon vivant with a silky goatee, whose affluent peasant parents deluged him with weekly parcels of butter, cheese, hams, and pâtés, which in those days of acute food shortages made him irresistible to girls. 
The other, Jean-Yves Gory, attended the École des Langues Orientales. The son of Pien Noir, the label for French residents of Algeria, he would sit up into the wee hours of the morning assiduously memorizing Chinese ideographs by inscribing them into a notebook with deft strokes of a brush pen. We kept in contact over the years ahead. Eventually he married a Chinese woman, entered the diplomatic corps, and rose to the rank of ambassador. Adjusting to the district, I found a black marketeer who exchanged my dollars for francs at twice the legal rate. Like other student hotels, the Lutes lacked bathrooms, and my new friends pointed out the public baths, which operated from Thursday afternoon through Sunday morning and charged a nominal fee. Entire families would file in, carrying their own soap and towels. Some shared the same tub. For the rest of the week, they depended on eau de cologne. When my camels ran out, I switched to Galois.